0: This morning, turn with me again to Matthew chapter 18. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Um, a very powerful parable that we have dwelt on uh, ever since really the, the first Sunday that we started this, this uh, series on forgiveness. And this is the sixth time now that we have spoken of forgiveness as the main theme of the sermon. And it will be the final one as we move next week to Pentecost, to the coming of the Holy Spirit, and all the joys that He brings to to life and to the world, um, transformative day. Look with me here as we read once again from these words, that really uh, the parable spawned because of what Peter begins to say here in verse 21. So look there with me in 18.21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let us pray. Lord, we come to your Scripture once again asking for the author's help. So Lord, would You give us aid this morning by Your Spirit who inspired these words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this may be uh, in in our series the last word on forgiveness, but it's not the last word on forgiveness in your life, nor is it in your thinking or in your Scripture reading. Hopefully this has been for you uh, an impetus for you to spring off of this into forgiving other people. Into asking for forgiveness. Into being understandable to other people's issues uh, when they don't even know their issues sometimes. And just being gracious and forgiving. I pray that that is what has come of these uh, messages on forgiveness. has been my heart's prayer for you, for me. Uh, to be able to do that. We've spent six Sundays there on forgiveness, which is the longest I've ever done on the issue of forgiveness. And it's been good for my heart. And as always, when when the Lord is placing something on us and revealing something to us, we must repent. That's the first thing to do is repent. (laughs) Um, Repent of our sinfulness. Once we realize our wrong, we go to Him. Jesus, in this parable, as we've already talked about, is doing multiple things. And of course, the genre of parable in itself is very unique and yet very helpful. And this is why Jesus most often illustrates things in a story or parable. And there's been much writing on what parables are, and we're not getting into that today, but I do want to focus on, because we focused before on the servant. And even in your Bible, a lot of times it will say the parable of the unforgiving servant. When in fact, the parable begins not with the servant, but with the king. Notice again, at the beginning here, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Not to this servant, but instead to the king. And so the point of the parable unless I'm reading it wrongly, is actually the King, who at the end is defined as, quote, my Heavenly Father, speaking from Jesus. So truly, this parable is to reveal to us the very heart of the Father. And it's very simple what is seen in the, in the, uh, in the parable, and yet it's very deep. <laughs> which is typically how parables work. Parables can be understood by a child. When you tell them that story, they can understand what's going on, and yet you can spend the rest of your life studying these parables, and they have a depth to them that the human mind uh, tarries there long and hard and meditates there, and we ought to. Notice here a few things with me <clears throat> uh, concerning the Parable. For one, it's about, about the Heavenly Father. Notice what he says in verse 35 again. Let me let me reread it. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you hear that repetition? Who is he speaking to? You. <laughs> and go ahead and point to somebody else because everybody else is pointing at you. Um... When that happens, so he's talking to us. This parable is for us, and it's it's uh, literally thirty-five begins with so, which is which is summative. He's bringing it all down. So let me explain this to you. You know how people do that when they're telling a story to you. You're sitting there thinking, how is this connected to my life at all? Why are you t-? so? And then they finally get to it, and you're like, thanks for that. I needed that clarification because I would have walked away like I do from conversations that I have with some people that are close to me, sometimes thinking, why did I need to know that? I still don't know why I need to know that. Jesus, (laughs) being the greatest of teachers, says, let me tell you what this means, and that means that my Father will do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now you say, okay, that's, that's cool and fine, Marshall, but why are you making such a big deal of this? Because did you not notice what he said? Because in the King James, remember, which I read from uh, a few weeks back, says that the king, the master, actually delivers them over to torturers. Here it says jailers in the ESV, but torturers. Dungeon. Until he could pay his debt, which would be impossible to pay at this point. If you're in jail, you can't make money, therefore you would never be able to pay back the debt. His life isn't worth 10,000 talents. Again, to put it in perspective, and and our government of course deals with billions and trillions as if they're dollar bills now, sadly. So we hear all these numbers thrown around, but this is is an unpayable debt. That's Jesus' point. This is an unpayable debt. He's never going to pay this debt. And it's interesting, in the parable, he actually tells him, begs for his life, and says, hey, just give me patience and I can pay this. But uh, in Judea, at the time, <clears throat> there was only a thousand talents being taken in by the whole government. And here's 10,000 talents that this one guy owes. So, you're talking about, it as far as in the ancient world, an astronomical number. I mean, this is like me, who does not have a skill that uh, bears a lot of money-making opportunity, if you will. Um, I, you know, pastoral skill, speaking skill, doesn't typically bear a lot of, of money for one in one's lifetime. Me owing oh, two trillion dollars. That's impossible for me to pay in a lifetime. In a lifetime, much less in a year or two. And so, Jesus' point is simple, and that is, this is an unpayable amount. Same thing that He does with the numbers game that Peter's trying to do. Peter's always like us, who we're, we're legalists. We want to know the bare minimum. Well, can I do this and still follow Jesus? <laughs> how much can I drink? How much can I do of this? How much, how much uh, complaining and talking about people can I do before I cross the line? I want to know those lines. Where are those lines? And it's fascinating how wise the Bible is because it never gives us those lines. <laughs> I find that fascinating. It's better to keep up with the person of Jesus than try to define some type of line. Which by the way is why some of the earliest uh, earliest books that were not included that now... Uh, Liberal-minded scholars want to be included in the canon of Scripture. They weren't included because they were those lines. They were just sayings of Jesus as if He was some philosopher. And He never just gave sayings. His sayings were always in the context of a person such as Peter. So they don't line up with what the Bible is, which is always contextual, always dealing with real people. Not some kind of high metaphysical, you know, abstract thought life, but instead real, actual life, which is exactly what He gives us here. And so, this this servant falls down and says, I can pay you, which is... (laughs) Either he's lying, which wouldn't be untypical of this guy apparently because of his character that we learn later, or he's so blinded by this debt that he owes that he doesn't even understand how much he really owes. It's kind of like speaking in trillions, you know. We hear $14 trillion in debt. We don't know that number. We can't even deal in that type of number. Our mind doesn't wrap itself around how much money that is. uh, To the moon and back and beyond how much money that is. Here too, I'm afraid in our own lives, a lot of times in my life, again speaking from personal experience, I don't understand how many zeros are behind my debt. I just can't comprehend it. To me, it looks small. To me, it looks insignificant. Oh, well, somebody else has done worse. Greece has done worse. Italy's done worse. Look at them. Look how they failed. Well, we're not Italy. We're not Greece. We're America. And we're not that other person. Just like when I try to tell my wife, you know, well, look at at so and so. I'm not so and so. You're not so and so. That's not how we do things around here. Okay, alright, I understand. And Jesus has to say to us sometimes, I'm not looking at so and so. You're not lining your life up to them. You're lining your life up to me. Now how many zeros do you really have when you line it up to Jesus? Or have we domesticated Him? Which is, afraid, which is what I'm afraid of that we've done in America is we've made Jesus less than who He is. We've uh, sissified him, if you will. That's a word. Uh, Because of the feminist movement that had come through in the scholarly world, we've also uh, weakened him and who he is as a person, as even a man. And we've weakened Mary in the process. In our maybe right-headed thinking at first, intention-wise, to try to get everybody in the church, we have watered down the message of Jesus Christ. We've cut off the Old Testament and said that's a different God. We don't really speak of the Old Testament God, the God of wrath. Because let me tell you, this is the God of wrath in Matthew 18. If... Jesus doesn't even say to this guy, oh, look, you threw that old boy in prison? That's fine, I've already forgiven you, so it's no big deal. Just go on and keep doing it. Is that what just happened? Because no, it didn't. Did we, did we just gloss over those parts in the New Testament and act like they're not there? Because the point is extremely clear, and that is if you don't forgive people, you will not be forgiven, and God will not forgive you and you'll end up in a place away from God. A place that's called hell. It's very brash. It's very justice-oriented. And yet, for some reason, when we're reading in the New Testament, we just kind of gloss over that. Do you know who Jesus is? Because if you know who He is... The number of zeros behind your debt grows because we know we've been unjust we know that we in our own lives have been ungracious it's interesting this term forgiveness what does it mean is it it is fascinating this uh, and, I, and I did not know this before before I learned it myself which is the way all things happen in our life isn't it? We just kind of use words until we look at them and dig deeper, and then find that there's there's meaning there that we didn't know of before. Uh, the term "for" in our vocabulary uh, is, is several things. One, it's a it's a um, it's a preposition that means for something or do this or do that. Some type of uh, sentence thing that's that's getting something or going somewhere, doing something. But it's also used as a prefix, so like for. Bear, f o r e when the e's added on there, or a forward in a book. Um, these are it's a it's a prefix used, but for as f o r, in in as a prefix here, not f o r e but just f o r, is actually means forbid. It's almost the opposite of the of the preposition for. It actually means to forbid. It means to neglect. It means to renunciate to prohibit. So think of uh, when you forgive, what are you doing? Not giving someone what they deserve. You're prohibiting it. They deserve something to be given to them, whether it be justice, or a punch in the face, or an angry word. And you forgive them. You prohibit giving them that. Now we've all done things in this room uh, that we deserve the punch. (laughs) You know, that we deserve the harsh word. um, And yet God has forgiven us of those things. Just like when you forbid something, you don't bid it. You don't do it. So again, this term, "for give" is that you don't give what should have been given. You forbid it. You neglect it. You renunciate it. It's really a refusal to give them what they deserve. And there's lots of talk in our media. I hear it all the time. And it was college... My right to do this, and my right to... And now we have rights for everything. A right to do this, and a right to be that, and a right to... The Bible never talks of rights. It's very interesting. The Bible never mentions that you have a right to this, or a right to that. (laughs) Because in the kingdom of heaven, which is very different than the kingdom of man... Rights and fairness don't always come into play. And we can get mad about that sometimes. Well, I have a right to do this, or I have a that's not fair. And that's one of the common things that's said among children and adults. That's just not fair. In reading another one of Jesus' parables, I learned many years ago in my own life that it's good that. Jesus isn't fair. Because if He was fair, I'd be going to a devil's hell. I would be lost forever and without God. I would get what I deserved if He was fair. Instead, the Bible never says God is fair, does it? Instead, it says, he's gracious and good. That's very different than being fair, according to our terms. Now, maybe that's a deeper fairness, you understand. But according to our terms of fair, that person ought to get what they deserve. Well, so should you, buddy. But you didn't. By his grace, you didn't. It's the parable, remember, of the, of the workers uh, who, who, who work at different times of the day. They go get picked up at different times of the day. And the, the ones who work least get paid the same amount as the ones who work the most. And the guy's saying at the end, ah, that's, that's not fair. <laughs> but thank God it's not fair. Because we think of ourselves in terms that we've worked the hardest, haven't we? I, man, I've worked harder than Casey. I, I don't understand why God's not blessing me. You know, I learned a long time ago from my dad that you never get praised for doing the right thing in your life. If you, and, and if you wait to do the right thing only to get praised, you'll be waiting a long time. Because most of the time when you do the right thing, no one notices. It's only when you do the wrong thing that people rise up. Because most of the time the, the biggest decisions of good in our life that we make Are made in our mind. And never seen. You know that the hero. Gets the glory and the praise. Because of one little deed that he did. That he fell into that ended up being. The perfect timing. It's normally not. A whole lifetime of heroism. It's only normally one little thing. You think of. uh, You think of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's Frodo. It's it's someone common. uh, A hobbit of all people in Middle Earth. Who are not. Those are not the biggest of people. Not the wisest of people. And think of our hero. Think of who our hero is. Was he wise according to the world? Let me just take, some, uh, take a moment, if you'll bear with me, and read to you Isaiah 53. Just listen to these words from Isaiah 53. This, this prophetic, messianic uh, passage all the way back during that time of Isaiah. Notice where he says. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and he and they esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed For our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for for his generation, who considered... And was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What a powerful, powerful chapter hidden in Isaiah 53. The recurring terms there is that he bore us. He carried us. He carried our sin. It was laid upon Him. It crushed Him. And it pleased God to do so because we couldn't handle it. The debt was too great for us and we could not handle it. And yet God moved it. All those zeros behind that one, He moved it on Jesus Christ. And He took the full brunt of our pain. He took the full brunt of our guilt. He took the full weight of our sin and iniquity and our transgressions and our hatred toward God, our, our boredom with, with His world and His way, with our evil, He bore it upon His own body. It's what we can call the great exchange. Jesus has exchanged our sin and guilt and damnation unto Jesus, and He was condemned to death for us for me. And for too long in my own life, I have neglected this great salvation and thought of myself as good thought of myself as, yeah, I'm not, not like the world. Therefore, I'm good. But deep inside, there were sins that lingered. There were thoughts that led me astray. There were times of failure and hurting other people. And a general attitude that was not of Christ. And He wants to take the very heart of the matter, your heart... And that's where He wants to transform things. Notice what He says at the end of 18. In your heart. See, we're calculating like Peter. We're all about the works. How many times has He forgiven me? And we're all about, okay, they gave me a gift, so I've got to give them one. And receiving, and this and that, and giving. It's all calculated to us. And Jesus says, no, don't calculate. You must simply forgive. Because you'll be forgiven the same way that you forgive. And you'll not be forgiven the same way you do not forgive. You see, the way of life is the way of the cross. And the cross is the one act of God in Jesus Christ that proves to us His love for us and proves to us that we are accepted by God now because that debt has been laid on Jesus Christ and removed remember what he said as he was hanging from the cross it is finished and it is but it is very difficult for us to receive that forgiveness isn't it and we'll never receive it with unforgiveness in our heart that is the reality that is what Jesus is pointing to in this psalm. Sorry, in this, in this parable. You see, we must live all of our life in his grace, in a position where we're constantly receiving his grace and giving his grace. And the only way to receive it is to give it. That's the mystery here of the kingdom of God. You will not receive His grace unless you give it. It's why in the Bible, constantly, God is connecting for us as if we're little children, which most of us think like that. I do. He's connecting Himself, love for God, with love for other people. Forgiveness from God with forgiving other people. Never can you disconnect God and other people. I used to say very wrongly when I was younger I used to say man the world would be a better place if it wasn't for people (laughs) just could do whatever I want and that is the epitome of sin it's the pinnacle of it doing what you want it's not the way of the cross it's not the way of grace forgive forbid giving to them what they deserve they deserve it there's no doubt but don't give it to them. Because it's what God has done for you. It's the purpose in forgiveness. He hasn't given you what you deserve. Therefore, you do the same. Go and do likewise. This morning, have you received that kind of grace in your life? Have you received His justifying grace? The grace that justifies us before God because of Jesus Christ? Or are you still trying to put yourself on, in, in the place of God? God has already provided the way, and yet we try to place ourselves in God's place. No, die to yourself. Until something dies, it will never become alive in the kingdom of God. Unless you lay it down, it will never become anything other than what it already is. And your life is like a seed. It must germinate if you know anything about seeds, when they germinate, they're no longer a seed. They become something more. And it grows up out of the soil, reaches the surface, and blossoms. Your life can blossom at any point. No matter how much weight is put upon you, He can take that. He's already taken it. It is finished, my friend. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that we proclaim this morning. And I hope it's the good news that you have witness of in your heart this morning. Because if you don't, now is the time to come to Him. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not an hour later. Now. Don't let the whisper come in and say otherwise. But instead, come to Him. Bow before Him. Lay your life before Him. Because He is gracious. (laughs) <laughs> he is filled with grace. And it's what we believe and proclaim this morning. Come to Him. Amen. If you would, stand with me this morning. And <clears throat> I just want to sing, if we could. Uh, Jasmine, if you could come up here and just just kind of lead us. And God answered the prayer. Relieved Him of yeah. all that misery. Yeah. And it really was. Oh, wow. Wow.